Listening to the Northern Football Podcast with Ben Steiner, Peter Galindo, and Alexander Gonge Ruzic. Hey there, folks, and welcome back into Northern Football Podcast. It's up to 128 of Northern Football, and it's Gold Cup time, baby. Canada kicking off against Guadeloupe in the tournament. They're opening their tournament north of the border at BMO Field. A bit of an afterthought, I would think, from CONCACAF just to give one match to Canada, but certainly exciting. Prices a little bit iffy. But Canada playing a continental tournament north of the border. So certainly exciting. Episode 128, it's a pre-match episode of this Guadalupe game. Peter Galindo is away doing spy work with the Canadian men's national team. Well, he's a performance analyst with the Canadian men's national team for this tournament. So good luck to him and the Canadian team. But Benjamin Steiner alongside Alexander Gauguin-Ruzic. Alex, how are you doing? Doing good. It's, uh, we're, we're flying solo here without Peter, but... Again, wish him all the best with this phenomenal task that he has, right? Like Peter and the squad, really, they're going to go win a continental trophy, right? Like this is a huge task at hand. So obviously best of luck to them. And just it's exciting that that's happening. I mean, we also threw it out here in the intro, like the Women's World Cup. It's less than a month away that, you know, the team's literally leaving to Australia minus a couple players this week to go to the gold, beautiful Gold Coast uh, in, in Australia, like it's everything's all kind of happening right now. And we've already had Nations League like this. This They weren't kidding when they said this was an international just soccer summer. And it's exciting to see it all come together. I mean, for a long time, we talked about the big summer of Canadian soccer and we're right in the thick of it now getting into the Gold Cup. A bit of a B squad for Canada, but still certainly potential to win a trophy, make a run towards a continental championship and an experience that would be fantastic for this Canadian team. But getting into the Gold Cup and Canada's group stage games, of course, those start in Toronto. But just your expectations were a few games into the Gold Cup already. Mexico, strong performance against Honduras, a 4-0 win. We've seen some CPL players have some performances. Garvin Matusla getting a win with Haiti over Qatar. Um, Just your Gold Cup expectations as a tournament as a whole, as well as uh, for the Canadian men's national team. Yeah, it's an interesting tournament because obviously – U.S. and Mexico, as they usually do, have well, at least the U.S. haven't sent a strong team. Mexico actually has, which is also surprising, kind of gives us idea of what the state of, you know, the federation there and just how important it is for them to win something after, you know, not winning since 2019, just to kind of get back on track. So obviously they're just the favorites based on reputation. And you kind of saw it, right? Like Jamaica looks so good on paper came out flying against the U.S. in the opener, and yet the U.S. out of nothing claws back in and gets a result. And it kind of shows that feels like any sort of path to the trophy goes through Mexico or U.S. still, no matter what squads, if it's an A squad like Mexico or A-ish squad, I guess, like Mexico, or the C squad of the U.S., everything kind of runs through them. So it's fascinating to see how Jamaica will bounce back. It's fascinating to see how Canada handles this. 
and their group because they're going to have to go through either Jamaica or the U.S. It looks like should they make it out of their group, of course. And then even teams like Haiti. Haiti looks like they'll impress. We haven't even seen the, the fun group there, you know, Panama, Costa Rica, El Salvador and you know all that so there's still lots more to come and I'm it's just it's curious to see how uh, I, I think with Mexico and U.S. you know bringing the squads again at least more the U.S. it feels like it evens it out but the fact that this still despite that Mexico and U.S. always kind of rise to the top I, I love that about it. Well and you have that Jamaican team as well that yeah they pick up a draw in their first game with the U.S. but they still pick up a draw they're still in a very good position to move on from the group of course they're expected to move on with the strength of the squad that they send to this tournament. And when they get to the knockout stage, like they've got more experience than a lot of teams at this tournament. They're one of the more veteran teams. They're stacked in terms of quality and tier one players. So there's no doubt that they can do some damage, potentially make a run. Heck they've made runs in the past before with much lesser squads at the gold cup. So it's certainly not out of the realm of possibility to see Jamaica winning it at the end of the day. But as you say, I think Mexico probably has to be the, the top of that considering the squad that they they've sent to the gold cup. Absolutely. And I think that gives an idea of where Canada kind of falls. It feels like Canada falls, you know, in that top four. Like, I feel like it's something where they're, they're among the top four contenders, but obviously now they have to go out and prove that. And it's something where, yeah, this tournament is much, it's as much a reputation thing as it is the squad you send. But of course, you have to get that squad to perform and show that the depth of your pool is, is worth something. And the US has shown that they've got one of the deep, they have the deepest pool. It's not one of it's the deepest pool in Concacaf, uh, you know. And now it's it's time for Canada to prove that they're building something to that. They don't need all their their big regulars there to 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 make some noise. And of course, as we'll talk, just you know, extract a bit more of this pool, find out a bit more. Like you know, what is a you know what can Moise Bombito bring this national team? What can Ali Ahmed bring this national team? Those those are also the fun questions of a Gold Cup, right? Certainly, some questions ahead of the Gold Cup. But also some potential questions about the weather in Toronto. As we're recording this, it's absolutely terrible weather in Toronto. It looks like a massive tropical thunderstorm. Uh, and you got to think maybe there's a possibility that that first game in Toronto, the only one that Canada has scheduled for Toronto, potentially gets postponed. Never know. I mean, it's been raining like for a week and a half in Toronto on, on, on and off and lightning's been on and off. Like you never know, right? You saw the Colorado Whitecaps game. You've seen, seen some other postponements. Of course, Miami had that triple whammy the other week in the CONCACAF qualifiers where it was like three games. Each had different lightning postponements that completely threw the schedule in whack. So, hey, that's the summer on the East Coast, right? It's something to watch out for, I suppose. Certainly something to watch out for. But if we get into your questions from at Dan Clark 999, what should the objectives of this World Cup be? And from Mick underscore Maz, based on the squad heading into the Gold Cup, what are your realistic expectations on how far they can go? In my mind, I have semifinals for Canada. I don't think they're coming out of this tournament with a win. Maybe third place. Like when you get into a third place game, it's it's just who can get up for that matchup. It's so hard to get up for a matchup like that. But I just don't see Canada necessarily getting past. Like I, I think they can get past the quarterfinal where, where they will have a difficult opponent, but they're going to have challenges getting past one of the larger teams in the semifinals. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the, the tough thing about their draw is if you map it out, if all the expected results happen, like if Canada finishes first, say, you know, we'll, we'll coin toss of that Jamaica or US finish first or second, Mexico finishes first, Canada's Gold Cup path, right, would be 
you'll play either whoever finishes second of Jamaica or US. And given that they drew their first game, it'll come up to whoever slips up, whoever has a worse goal difference in their next two games. Um, and then that's a tough matchup. That's two of the favorites right away in the quarters. Sometimes, uh, you know, you'd like for an easier matchup there. And then the semifinals, you get Mexico if Mexico doesn't slip up and then get to a final. So, I mean, that is a tough road. I think a team like Mexico, for example, you want them in the final as wild as it is because a final anything can happen, right? It's like, it's the cliche, but it's true. Cause the final, everyone does play a bit more nervous. It's, it can get a bit more cagey, obviously, especially can't after the performance they had in the nation's league final. That's probably something we wouldn't, we'd hope we didn't, you don't see something like that twice. So you know that they'd come out cagey. And I think a final would be a kind of match where you can catch someone by surprise. Whereas one of those semifinal, one of those quarterfinal matches, it's different. Of course. I mean, I think this Canadian team can match up with any of those, te- those sides. It's just, Really, the question will be, can they score goals in those games? It feels like it feels wild to say about a Canadian team. It feels like they'll be able to defend, right? I mean, the core of their midfield and defenders and, you know, goalkeepers are there. If it's Milan Borean or if it's Dane Sinclair, which, you know, obviously, hopefully it's Dane Sinclair so we can get a look at him. It it should be a team that will stay in games. It's just a matter of can they get that cutting edge without some of those Jonathan David, Kyle Aarons, Alfonso Davies, Izzy Smalcones, etc. So I'd say this objective of this Gold Cup is like you said, I'd say a semifinal is a reasonable run. And I think it's something where Canada should be in every game until then. Uh, and hopefully even along the way in the group stage, maybe get a few positive results and build their confidence offensively so that they, if they go into a game with the Jamaica or the U.S., or a Mexico that they know that they can get a goal or two and, and defend the rest of the way. So I'd say, I'd say semifinals is realistic because it feels like this is kind of Mexico's tournament to lose. And you saw what the performance they put out today against Honduras, right? Like all the games are relatively close uh, between the giants and then Mexico just blows the doors off Honduras four nil. So they obviously are in this to mean business. So I'd say semifinals. Yeah. The semifinals seem to be almost a consensus when you look around sort of the Canadian soccer fans about expectations for this tournament. But then you, you also look at, I mean, it's a tournament. You don't necessarily know how this Canadian group can get up for it and get up for individual games. A lot of these players haven't represented Canada in a tournament like this before. So it's an opportunity that the effort might just be through the roof from this group, that it's kind of a group that goes out with a determination where they can't lose kind of thing. Um, you see that with some teams when they, they go into tournaments like this. The thing that I think you have to be wary of with this Canadian team this time is because they don't necessarily have the game breakers of the Jonathan David, the Kyle Lahren, the Alfonso Davies, they're not going to be winning these games seven, nothing. I don't think like even against the smaller countries, um, they're going to be tighter games um, even against say a Guadeloupe in that opener. Like I'm not expecting five, six, nothing Canada as I would with an A squad. I'm expecting maybe like, 3-1, like a, a defensive mistake here. Maybe that, that causes an issue and Canada gets a couple goals and there's some learning points. But I don't think Canada completely plays these teams off the pitch. Yeah, I think the last thing I'd say is you just have to remember how unpredictable these can be because of the squads that are there. It's just you don't know a much, right? Like when you have a full A squad, there's you can almost predict more just because you know you know what Alfonso Davies is going to bring each game. You, you know what a Jonathan David in terms of just like level, right? Of course, you can ask about game to game and positioning. Like there's a baseline. Whereas here, what's fascinating is that you just don't know, right? Like for for example, if you're going to use all the young guys, like a guy like Jason Russell Rowe, he's got a high ceiling. So it's like if he hits his ceiling this gold cup, it could be, you know, completely surprised, but he could also completely struggle to adapt to the level. And then that's where the 
you know, the, the ceiling lowers a fair bit. And I think we kind of saw that the last Gold Cup heading into it, right? Like you had no idea what to expect of this Canadian team. Yeah, you'd gotten a taste of Alistair Johnston. Guys like Richie Larea were relatively established. Kamal Miller as well. You know, even Stefan Ustakio had shown a good level. But like, even for Ustakio, like we didn't know that he could dominate a tournament and be like the guy for Canada that can drag them along even when there's no Davies and Dave. And we found that out. And I find that so fascinating about this tournament is that because of these guys missing, there's just so much we don't know that we could learn about, right? Like, is a guy like Victor Latour going to, you know, blow our minds and turn out he can lead a midfield? Or, or you know, like, it does Stefan Ustakio, he's there. Does he have another gear to hit on top of what he hit at the last Gold Cup? Or there's just, yeah, so many questions that we'll, we'll have to see, which makes it so hard to predict. Because, yeah, when you have an A squad, it's easier to predict. So you know what these guys are. You know what they're going up against, where you, you could tell me that, yeah, again, Russell Rowe, if he had a four or five gold tournament, I believe you. And you'd tell me you had a zero gold tournament played 12 minutes. I'd also believe you. And I think, yeah, likelier you'd probably bet on the latter. But that's the thing with these youngsters with potential. Sometimes just you get in a flash, you get a right moment. Like, again, it's like Johnston, right? It's just a, at the time, it was in his second season out of college playing for Nashville. And all of a sudden, he just ends up being the perfect fit. And you look where he is now right so it's it's one of those where these things can happen in an instant and we'll, it'll be interesting to see what kind of stories build over the course of the tournament and all the players that Canada is sending have quality to have magical explosive moments like that even you look at the forwards which is a very underwhelming group like Lucas Cavallini can pop up and score a big goal like he did against the U.S. in 2019 so these players can pop up have tremendous moments and that's something that Canada will look for so as you say like you could say that a player is going to score three or four goals in the tournament and it's totally believable, but it's also like if, if they have limited minutes, it's, it's also very believable because we just don't really know about this Canadian group because it's effectively a new Canadian men's national team. Not the one that we've been watching over the last little while and through the, the 2022 cycle. Absolutely. And I guess, you know, that's that now it's up for, for them to, to show us, right. That's, it's the, it's a real prove me tournament for a lot of people. And from underscore Jacob Box, does Canada need to reach the final for this to be a successful Gold Cup? Not at all. I think they just need to see good performances from the new players who haven't necessarily had this experience before. Yeah, look, I mean, winning would be great. Don't get me wrong, but I think it's one of those where it's just it feels like the first time in a long time that since really that 2021 Gold Cup that Canada's had a chance to look at some newer players uh, across a broader group where it's not just like, one, it's not the 22nd or the 23rd player on a roster in a must-win camp, so you know you're not going to see him. Like, there's a chance to see these players, a chance to, you know, build something without your core guys and kind of see what's around them. So I think it's one of those where, yeah, of course, I'd say you want to make the quarters or semis or even the final just for the most possible games to look at these guys. But ultimately I think you're the, what's going to be success is if you're here sitting here at the end of the tournament, no matter what happens, if you win it, if you finish second, third, fourth or fifth, you're sitting here thinking, okay, we found a few guys that will be legitimate national team contributors for, for the next few years. Cause you have to build up that core, right? You have to. I think the perspective has also changed over the last little while, because you look at, some of our shows before the big summer of Canadian soccer. And we we're talking about how Canada has to win a trophy this summer for it to be a successful summer and stuff like that. But now you look at sort of, I mean, they had the, the nations league right there for the taking. They could have beat the U S on that day. They're up to snuff in terms of the, the quality on the rosters that were available on that day. They just weren't up for the game and it was, it was mismanaged, but like that was there for the taking. 
was that a failure? Probably. But then you look at the the Gold Cup and the roster is not necessarily there to, to win the tournament. They're going to be a competitive roster. But I think when you look at this tournament, it's a developmental step towards that 2026 World Cup and that 2026 cycle. We're really starting to see the start of that cycle now, whereas before it was like, okay, we can give so-and-so a chance and, and start to get a, a little bit of turning the page. But like Hutchinson's gone now and several of the key players aren't there. And so you're fully flipping the chapter over to 2026. And this is the first time where you have games that matter. This isn't friendlies in the fall where you might not get a very good opponent. Like the U S is playing Uzbekistan. It's not going to be a necessarily testing match for them. So many of the world is in competitive matches at that point. So this is moments where there's going to be pressure, but not the pressure of like, you have to perform in this to go to a world cup, to go to, a Copa America. It's a, it's a learn it's a learning point for the Canadian men's national team, and that's important ahead of the Copa America, another Gold Cup, and Nations League, and then the the World Cup as well. So it, it's an important step, I think. Yeah, well, I think it's important to remember that for Nations League, like why it's so important to win is that all these guys that were there. It's like your Davies, your Davids, your Johnstons, your you know Kone's, I guess, your Stachios, all them it's that a lot of them, most of them have won at the club level. They've shown that they're winners, that they can be top players, right? In the case of Buchanan, Ustakio, Davies, like the, David, these guys have done it at the Champions League level, Laren doing it in La Liga, you know, even this, winning all the Super League, you know, the titles with Besiktas, the Super League title he won with Besiktas, he only won one. They've proven that they could win at the club level. For them, it was a chance to prove, okay, at the national team level, they have a core of guys who can come together and win. Whereas now... If you're looking at this roster, I'll just use Jason Russell Rowe again as the easy example. Will it help him if Canada wins a trophy and he learns from that? Absolutely. But it's something where for him, it's as much, okay, what is he in the national team pool, right? Like, what does he bring? What can he give you in 20 minutes, 30 minutes? Whereas again, with guys like David Davies, you know what they are. For them, it was that experience. Okay, you know what they are individually. Can they come together as a team and win something and that's why I think the expectations have changed. I think it's something if look if it was a different time and you had more of these established veteran players, that's the discussion completely shifts and it just kind of you know shows that really the whole idea of winning a trophy and what it would do for for the national team isn't so much for some of these guys on the fringes of the roster. It's really for these top end guys to prove that they can show up in these sorts of big moments and and, and make them happen. And it's too bad that it wasn't this gold cup in an ideal world. This gold cup would be it, right? Like hopefully the, your continental tournament, it's your best opportunity. You see the euros and AFCON and, you know, Asia cup and Copa America, what it means, but that's uh, the whole gold cup discussions and other discussion for another day. Right. <laughs> it is what it is this year. And it is what it is in the CONCACAF gold cup, but global soccer is changing so quickly that maybe you, you won't have this every two year gold cup anymore. Looking down the road too far. But a question from at Toronto Maple FC2. One, is the success of this tournament purely results or are there other factors equally or more important, i.e. integrating players, figuring out players, the best uses and how to fit them tactically, like Liam Miller? And two, how bad does it have to go, this tournament, for Herdman to be on the fringes of his job? I think the first one we kind of talked about, I think it's one where just go as far as you can to get these players looks. And it's kind of if you anything past the, the semifinals feels gravy. Even the quarterfinals depends on the game, right? Like if you play a tough Jamaica and they're just, you know, Damari Gray does Damari Gray things and 
you kind of lose you almost it's contextual right as long as you're out you're seeing these young guys pushed and tested as for the herdman question i mean it, it feels like it would have to be a disaster right like i'm thinking like you don't make it out of your group like you lose at home to guadalupe's candy after remember canada hasn't lost at home in a while like we're talking over a half decade now uh, that they haven't lost at home and against very good teams so a team like guadalupe you'd like to think they can beat them at home so yeah i'd say it'd have to be some sort of group stage disaster especially if he plays a veteran heavy team at least if he plays the kids and a result like that happens well then you know that maybe some of those kids aren't ready or etc but if you play a veteran heavy team then that happens and that's that's not a good look so i think anything group stage related likely anything that hinges also on maybe a, a, a bit of a veteran heavy team getting let down because i think if you're if you're transitioning the new core and the young kids maybe flounder a bit you'd almost accept that but i guess we'll see it based on the pressure right i think it's something where you know externally this is a tournament and the pressure will understandably be high so any sort of faltering no matter the reason will will probably have his seat get uh get hotter yeah i think it probably has to be a group stage disappointment for him to really be on the edge of losing his job. But also if he rolls out just young squad, inexperienced squad through the first group games and he loses all three, I don't necessarily think he loses his job because there might be some worthy takeaways from that as well. But if he's rolling out Milan Borjan, Stefan Estacchio, Cavallini, like first choice national team players. Yeah. There's probably a case for him to, to move on. Um, But it, I think he should go out and, and try and get the youth players as many opportunities and see what they can do. And if it means you followed in the group stage, so what at that point, right? Like, you know, it, it doesn't work. It's been three games. It's not the end of the world. You still have nations league. You still have all these other competitions to try and build towards and build towards 2026, which I do think will likely be Herdman's last world cup with the Canadian men's national team. I don't see him going forward for another cycle. Uh, but when you look at, the opponents Canada's generally done well, but if you go back to the 2007 gold cup, Canada did lose 2-1 to Guadeloupe. So the precedent is there, of course, a very different Canadian men's national team back then, but there's still a, a precedent there against some of these lesser nations. Yeah. It's just fascinating because these are sorts of games. They prevent, they provide different challenges, right? That's the thing with CONCACAF. They're not, it's not going to be like a quantitively, like you're playing these extremely hard, you know, well-oiled machines say right but it, it, it's something where the, these sorts of tests give you something different and what's going to be interesting to see about this group is i mean first of all guadeloupe fascinating team right like these these districts in france right like the if you want to call them the overseas colonies the uh etc like french guyana etc they, they're just so fascinating the, how the recruitment works and because of that like guadeloupe's got a fascinating team they got a Serie A player who you know wasn't playing on torino last year they got a couple league on players who got relegated but still played 30 games in league uh you know tier one league we always hear tier one players etc those are tier one players there by john herdman's definition you got a couple league guys who are doing well at that level like not to say like candish still despite that should have the talent advantage of course but there are some players that can hurt you so the thing is it's gonna be interesting to see with guadalupe especially they're well-drilled defensively. They're very flexible tactically. They've used, I think, six formations in their last seven games. Um, so they'll, they'll be a fun one to watch in the sense that they'll sit back and they have guys you can hurt. So can Canada break down that low block? 
something they've struggled with at times and can they just you know avoid any disasters and anything of that like uh, Guatemala is also an interesting team because they're very well drilled defensively as well. Got some interesting dual nationals, right? Uh, Rubio Rubin uh, recently committed over the last year. Aaron Herrera. So you got some of that MLS flair. Other than that, a very solid Guatemala-based squad for the most part. They'll play 4-4-2. Likely will be defensive. So it'll be two good tests for Canada because, they, again, like we mentioned, we haven't seen enough of them breaking down these low blocks. Lately, uh, teams have start kind of started to – do, sit back a little more against Canada. Like, okay, break us down. See what you can do. And teams like Panama, who still employ a high line, have kind of got burned. And teams like the U.S. or even, you know, teams at the World Cup were employing a bit of a deeper line. Heck, we had the Uruguay friendly, uh, you know, half a year ago or well, more than half a year ago where they sat deep and uh, as well caused frustration. So that'll be a good test. And then Cuba's a fascinating one because they might not have the, the talent, say, uh, but they're building it up. But they play possession and on the front foot when possible so i think of course against canada they'll sit a little deeper and invite them but it is a team that'll be able to hold the ball and can maybe get you out of the game and stretches so you just have to, to to manage that so i just find it interesting that there's kind of three interesting tests and you start the first two games having to break a team two teams down score some goals and then by the time you get to cuba you're going to play a team that's a little more comfortable the ball than than most would expect like they played uruguay lately and held 48% possession. Like for a team, we got Cuba to be playing a World Cup team like Uruguay. Yeah, missing a few starters. Like that's a impressive to go out there and, you know, yeah, they lost 2-0, but they tried to play, right? And that, that's something that they'll try to do with Canada. And certainly an interesting roster for the Canadian men's national team in this tournament. But the question from Mayan Zilberstein, who are you guys most excited to see play in the Gold Cup for Canada out of the new call-ups? As a Caps fan, I'm very eager to see how much time Ali Ahmed gets, even though he hasn't played a single game since the concussion. He's not a new call-up, but I'm excited to see his opportunity in probably a bigger fashion. But Victor Latoury, after the season he had with Ross County and the potential impact he could have in the midfield of this Canadian men's national team, I don't want to say he's the Atiba Hutchinson replacement, but he can definitely play alongside Estacchio in that midfield on what would kind of be Canada's first-choice team probably for, for this tournament. So... I think he could potentially have a massive breakout tournament, but then you also have a player like Jason Russell Rowe, see what he can do up top uh, in a group of forwards that is really playing time is anyone's for the taking when you get into the big games, because I mean, there's not really anybody who's super proven outside of Cavallini and that's saying something. Yeah. I'd probably say anyone who can address a potential need at the first team levels who I'd be intrigued with. So Midfield, just because who's that third midfield beside Ustakio and Kone long-term? Is it more of an eight? Is it more of a six? So that's why I'm curious. Is it Latour? Is a six freeing up Ustakio Kone? Um, or is it going to be, you know, the opposite? Is it going to be Ahmed being an eight and, you know, driving forward and playing playing alongside a Kone? And then at the back, it's the center backs, right? Who, uh, who, who's going to be those next center backs? So Bombito and McGraw are ones where I want to see more because Bombito just seems such like a fascinating pa- package, can be good in the air, good on the ball, can play on both sides. He's got the physical tools. And then you got Zach McGraw as well, very good in the air. Um, we've seen that with Portland. We saw Canada struggled in the air at times. Like, Can those two help that out? And then, of course, Dane Sinclair, right? Like, different profile and goal, someone who's comfortable with this fee and could be a bit of a different look and goal long-term. So any of those guys that can really help the the national team, like the first team. And for Mike Rice, how close to the usual system will Herdman play? And what does this mean for Jacob Schaffelberg? Excited to see how he's used, but will it be like a Davies light player 
you wouldn't want him to be judged as a like-for-like player against Alfonso Davies. I'd be curious to see, because I, I want to see Schaffelberg kind of in a similar role to what he does with Nashville, which is just kind of be this... His role is fascinating to describe because he makes all these great late runs, but he does a good job getting involved in the buildup. It's just he like he'll he'll build up with Hanny Mukhtar and you know Dax McCarthy and everyone else, and then all of a sudden he'll just burst forward and stretch the lines, and either you know Mukhtar or someone will find him in behind and he'll get all these breakaways, or he just kind of stretches the line and opens up space for for Mukhtar. So. I don't know if there'll be much of that in the first two games. Like I mentioned, I feel like I'd expect Guadalupe and Guatemala to comfortably sit behind the ball. So how much room is there for a guy like Jacob Schaffelberg to stretch the field up front in like a 3-5-2? I don't know. But maybe that that could see Herdman shift to more of a 4-3-3 and have Schaffelberg play as an out-and-out winger. So if they do keep the 3-5-2 with two strikers... I would probably see him more of, you know, use against a team like a Cuba or maybe a team like a Mexico or U.S. or Jamaica who might want to hold the ball a bit more. Um, but if not, they would have to require a bit of a formation shift. And I'll be also interested to see, like, right, like we keep talking about the players that John Herman might try. What's the formation? If he sticks with the 3-5-2, that'll be very indicative of where he sees this first team, you know, building, right? Like Davies at wing back, Buchanan at wing back, David Laren three midfield but if he switches to a 4-3-3 for example that could be interesting right like does that mean Davies going to play on the wing left back um you know Schaffelberg could kind of fill in on that wing role so I'd say keep an eye on the formations will be also very telling and could be indicative of where we see Schaffelberg and from at Spinel's can who's one player from the Canamant that you think will have a breakthrough gold cup also heard rumblings that Estacchio will not be joining the team for the gold cup any information on that in terms of a player that will have a breakthrough Gold Cup, I mean, lots of candidates. I'm probably leaning for for a guy like Latoury, I think, in the midfield, just because there's not that many midfielders, especially a lot of them like a Hoylet or a Zorio, and, you know, can play higher up the field. So I'd like to see a guy, Weatherspoon as well, can, he's more of an 8, 10. So, yeah, a guy like Latoury, can he hold down the midfield? Can he be a different six? So I think, again, if you can find a six for Canada, huge, huge need. Frees up Ustakio and Kony to play as eights. It's more the positions they play for their club. Um, you know, just something to help build. So I'd say Latoury, just because he's been used to that system, there's a genuine, like, for example, I'd love to say it's a McGraw or Bombito, but there's like six center backs, right? Like, who's going to win that center back battle? Whereas Latoury, there's a very clear path to him playing in the midfield. And as for the Ustakio rumblings, it's very fascinating. I think... We're obviously going to find out some news by the time this podcast might be even uh, even be out. It sounds like um, there's rumblings out of camp that Canada's going to have to be calling in a new player too. Of course, they can name up until I think 24 hours before the first game, they can name any replacements for injuries. Uh, sounds like there might be an injury or two in the Canada camp, so that might require a um, call up. So by the time you're listening, we might know who this is, and obviously we don't get that chance to to dissect and break that down. And so not, not sure if it is a stack, but if it is, then I mean, put more stock in what I just said about Latoury. Um, But we'll, we'll see if it's Ustakio, because I may mean, imagine if it's injuries, it's either something picked up between now and then, or maybe someone who went back to their MLS club, or um, maybe just one of the Euro-based guys had a bit more wear and tear than, than we thought. But certainly sounds like there's some rumblings on the squad. Not sure if it's Ustakio in particular yet. Certainly will be intriguing to see. There's, media availability for both training and 
some questions both at the BMO training ground and at BMO field. By the time you're listening to this podcast, those ones likely in the book. So news likely to drop on the Canadian men's national team of some sort, uh, but we'll have to wait and see in terms of where we're recording this for now. But a question from a underscore Miller 16, what's your best starting 11 for the gold cup for Canada? Yeah. I mean, uh, it depends on your definition, right? It's like, what do we think the best 11 is? What do you think we want to see? I we we came up with kind of a best one, right? And then um, I guess I also for fun made one I feel like I'd like to see. So for me, I'd say I, I'm assuming the three five two. I had St. Clair in goal, Zator, Vittoria, Miller is the back three. So kind of Vittoria and Miller continue. They're familiar. Zator slots in as the Johnston uh, response uh, or as the replacement. Um, then the Larea and Atacubi is the wingbacks. That's consistent. We've seen a lot of that. Azorio Stacchio in the midfield. I have Ahmed just at the eight in this, but also you could throw in Laturi uh, at the six. I'm just, we've seen a lot more of Ustacchio at the six. So if we're talking like, you know, Herdman kind of building up with what he's seen, he'd go, I, I, we could see Ahmed slotting in. And then I've Hoylet up front playing kind of like a JD role. And then Charles Andreas Brim kind of filling in the, the Kyle Laren role. That's kind of what I'd probably imagine Herdman's best 11 look like. For me, I've gone a little bit different, but I've stuck with a bit of a familiar system for the Canadian men's national team. I've got Dane Sinclair in net, although I could see potentially a first choice 11 having Milan Borian, say if they're in a final and Sinclair or McGill hasn't totally staked their claim on the on the starting role. Then I've got a back four of Sam Adekubi, Stephen Victoria, Kamal Miller, and Richie Larea, and midfield four of Ali Ahmed out wide, and then Estacchio and Azorio in the middle with Schaffelberg also out wide. And then I've got Charles Andreas Bram and Junior Hoylet playing as two strikers up front. So a bit of a different look. I don't love the Hoylet up front, um, but I don't love the available forwards on the roster anyways. Um, I could also see Latouri stepping into where Azorio is, or Estacchio if he's not with the group anymore. Um, Lots of choices for this Canadian team um, because I don't think there's necessarily a outright best 11 of this group because it's such a new and raw group. Yeah. Right. And that's kind of the interesting one. And this is the debate, right. Of what's best. Cause I think also Cavallini is probably in that best 11. Right. But I think I just went brim basically form. Um, I'll, yeah. Cavallini's the, the familiar one. So that's why, because of that, I feel like it's a debate where you're just kind of looking more at vets. I did a, a more, I guess you can call it like a profiles 11. Cause I was looking more at what players profiles are versus what they've done because i think it's something where it'd be intriguing to see what they bring and that one i stuck with the three five two because of course you're building on that had saint Clair in goal so not much change there the back three of bombito McGraw, and kennedy and that one's a bit of a wild one but i think profile wise kennedy has the speed you don't have a lot of that um yeah you had a rough final against the u.s but it's a huge occasion it happens it can happen to anyone so kennedy's speed is an intrigue i'm mcgraw just because that aerial prowess we mentioned uh, and then Bombito because just that all-round package. So I, I thought those are three fascinating profiles, three that you don't really have on the national team. So that's why. Then Larea at Atacubi at wingback, that's pretty much straightforward. Midfield, Ustakio Laturi Ahmed. I think that's uh, very fascinating because obviously Ustakio more of an eight, Laturi playing in his six role. And then just Ahmed and Ustakio running all over. Those guys are fit. They have stamina. I think that would be fascinating to see. And then up front, I have Jason Russell Rowe. Just he's pure number nine. He's he looks like one of those guys who 
uh, can be a pure out and out number nine. So what can he look like leading a line? We've seen it in Columbus for glimpses and then a junior Hoylet underneath him there. So, I mean, it's, it's been different, but uh, intriguing profiles in this one. And another question from Mike Rice, which outfield player on this roster who knows full well, they won't see a minute on the pitch. <laughs> I mean, outfield, the outfield question, he's smart. He made sure that we couldn't uh, get away with this by sneaking in any third goalkeeper shouts or uh, anything of that that like I mean if I'm if I'm looking at options maybe one of the center backs right just because there's so many of them like how much time is there to go around on on all that like I feel like we'll see Kamal Miller Steve Vittoria it just feels like which one between a Zator Bombito McGraw you know I guess Kennedy doesn't impress um, not, that's a hard bet to make. So, yeah, I'm looking across the roster. I could see minutes for, for all of them. So it really comes down to that center back. And based on what we know, I'd probably say McGraw just because Herman tends to prefer familiarity. So Bombito got that look the last camp. Um, you know, Zator's been in a couple camps now. Kennedy, Miller, Vittorio, you kind of know what it is. If I'm betting between all those, I'd probably say McGraw just because it's his first camp. So maybe it's a chance to kind of ease in and and see. And then we've seen that with before, right, with new recruits come in. Some of them see the field right away and Herman trusts them right away. And some of them, it takes a little more time. And given the center back position, I just, I don't know, McGraw feels like one. If I had to choose, I'd pick one. That's who I'd pick. I think he'll want to test out Zach McGraw. So I think he's probably going to get into a game. If I had to say a player in the outfield who's not going to get a match or at least a minute, it might be David Watherspoon. Just considering mm. sort of the veteran quality, um, his return of unattached FC on the Canadian men's national team roster. Um, but there's not necessarily an outstanding quality there that brings him above some of the younger players. And there's not necessarily the need to see what he's got because John Herdman knows very much what he has in David Watherspoon. I think there's a possibility that he plays. I think there's a possibility of everybody on the roster, even all three goalkeepers getting minutes in this tournament. But yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see David Watherspoon not see a minute of match action. I could see that. It, 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 I mean, it depends though, just because the midfield depth so thin where I feel like anyone could be kind of relied on, right? Like it's something we're out of necessity. You only have five, six midfielders. If you're playing three in the midfield. Um, it, it, yeah. I feel like it, I still would expect him to see me. I just feel like it's a defender. Right? You just rarely see that rotation, especially when there's so many. But I guess we'll see, right? It, it's something where it's, it's a good debate to have. And who knows? Maybe we, we'll, we'll press, we'll place guesses and we'll see who's who's closer. I think everyone's going to play. The question is who has the least minutes, right? I feel like that question for outfield, I think it's something in a gold cup. I, I do think everyone will see, uh, we'll see the field. It's not going to be like a world cup where you're going to have a few who miss out. And from at S. Jordan, 1988, does this team remind you of the 2018 cycle? And for that, I looked back at the 2017 CONCACAF Gold Cup and certainly some old names on that roster, but some exciting ones too. I mean, a clear up-and-comer in the system at that point was a a young and spry Russell Tybert that didn't necessarily uh, pan out the way that uh, some people were hoping with with Tybert and the men's national team. Uh, But alas, about... Russell Tybert and the Vancouver Whitecaps, Scott Arfield on that team as well. So it, it had a mix of young players needing to get their chance. Alfonso Davies was granted his Canadian citizenship days before that. Um, yeah, I guess there's some similarities, but at the end of the day, there's a lot more quality on this roster. Um, there's a lot more experience when you're looking at the caps on that 
2017 Gold Cup team. There's not many. That was back. Cavallini had three caps. Now he's a veteran of the team. Um, and the, the, the veterans are at higher levels. Uh, the, the baseline player is at a higher floor. So I see some similarities, but it's definitely not back to 17 for any of this team. It's not 17 again. There's no Zach Efron star- starring in this Gold Cup. That's a beautiful reference. But yes, I think it, this this pool is different, right? I think we have to remember that. It's something where, yes, it's not going to be the A team and you can almost almost get blinded by that. But this is still a point where Canada's B team is, you know, far ahead of where it was before. And that you still, right, you got, I mean, if Stacchio is there, you got a Porto level midfielder. You got, you know, Adekubi, Larea playing top levels. Um, Vittoria is someone where I mean, man, a team that that 2017 team is dying out for Vittoria, right? They got Yakovic who was still playing with the Cosmos. Adam Straith was playing for FC Edmonton, like <laughs> right, like the, the experience is different. Like a guy like Vittoria just helped Chavez nearly push for Europe in the Portuguese league, which is by coefficients always battling with France and you know the Netherlands to kind of be in that top five uh, of, of European leagues. So I think it is something where the depth is just big enough. And that's why I think we can comfortably say this is a team that should push for the semifinal. It won't be easy. But again, it just shows you how far it's come where you can still have a B team and you can do that. It's not necessarily the powerhouse East High Wildcats, but it's not necessarily 17 again either. Okay, enough of my Zach Efron references and High School Musical um, showing my age or generation on that one. But certainly some exclusions on this Gold Cup roster. Uh, most notably, Jonathan Sirwa. Yeah, it's, it's a big one, right? He's been playing out of his mind. And it's something where you, you look at goalkeepers, you want to look at players in the pool. You know what Milan Boran is at this stage uh, of his career. And a guy like John Sirwa with his profile, a lot of debate. You know, do you want a guy like Sirwa playing in form versus a guy like McGill who's at a club like Brighton but not playing? Uh, for that first team level, and it is a good debate to have. And I think it's something where I would have loved to get Sirwa a look. I don't know at whose expense it would be, right? Because I'd, I'd say Boyan, but also if it, you'd like Boyan in a third goalkeeper role to kind of mentor. So it's like, okay, is it over a McGill? It is a tougher question because, uh, you know, McGill has that cap tying implication of this tournament where you can get a promising player locked up but in terms of just if all things were created equal Sirwa does deserve a look eight clean sheets in his last 11 mls games it's absurd um he saved a couple goals above expected over that span like he's done very well to clean up after a bit of a slow start with montreal in general but he was one of the bright lights and then now his things have tightened up in front of him he's really started to shine and just his footwork is the reaction saves he's making he 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 has that knack for the big save too, which isn't always easy, right? To make those saves in those tough moments where you maybe haven't been busy for a while and you have to save your team. Like he's had all of that. So I, it's something where some a player shows like he's only like 20, 21, right? Like he's still still super young. It's someone where it's surprising not to see him because I feel like anytime a goalkeeper is breaking through that young, you'd absolutely want to have a look. And from at Doug H. McLaughlin, so is it better to have Zero play guaranteed matches against MLS competition or to play some potential matches against Gold Cup competition? Any risk of him playing for another nation, getting turned off by the CanMNT because of this snub? I mean, it's it's a good question, right? I think it's something where, what does this mean? Ultimately, going elsewhere, yeah, I, he has a French passport, if I'm not mistaken. So 
I mean, France's goalkeeper depth is, is pretty solid. I don't think, I don't know how much of a worry that will be for, for a while. Um, in terms of getting turned off the can and tea, I think that's just the goalkeeper reality. You can ask many goalkeepers who've had great runs of form, how hard it's been just the last four years with how the pools rapidly change, where it went from kind of Milan boring and no one else to all of a sudden these Crepos and St. Clair's and now Sirois, Pantemis. Uh, last year, even Brezza had a bright few months where it was kind of intriguing. So I think it's just something where that's the the reality of the pool. You got a Tom McGill as well in where there's the, that that circumstance. Um, so I don't know if it'll turn him off the Canamatiques. I think, you know, it'd also be realistic of the pool. And I think it's something where, look, the, the MLS games is something to consider, right? Like, is it worth it for him to play up to potentially six MLS games, continue to get those reps, continue to shine, keep your consistency, uh, or go be a third goalkeeper where, yes, you get that experience of being in a camp and learning, but you're missing out on valuable playing time. And it is worth knowing, right? It's not like a Minnesota, right, where Dane Sinclair leaves and you know he's going to come back and be that guy, right? They cleared out that space to be the guy. They got rid of Tyler Miller. He is Minnesota's uh, number one, right? Whereas, yes, here was Montreal's number one now, but Pantemis is still lurking. And as we see with Montreal, they've always kind of been a ride the hot goalie. So last year was Brezza to start. Pantemis couldn't get in to save his life. Pantemis got the job. He ends up winning it, stays in, and then all of a sudden he's boom, right? And then now he gets injured. Sierra steps in. Pantemis is healthy. Sirwaz keeps the job. So it's something where maybe for Sirwaz it'll be beneficial just to keep that job, not give it Pantemis any of a chance. And maybe it's something where it doesn't come till September, October, that call. So that is, I think that's the one reason where Sirwaz, you're fine with him not getting called because, yeah, every other reason you'd love to see him there. But it is something where this opportunity to play more games with Montreal will not hurt him at this age. And also excluded from the Canadian men's national team squad, Matthew Schwanier, not called up for the Gold Cup and a question from at RW Beerns 49. Can you make sense of Schwanier not getting a call up? And from Nick Spirit 4, why no Schwanier and instead take David Watherspoon? How are we building the future of Watherspoon and Milan Borian still on the squad? The Schwanier one's a legit question because I think Sir Wathers, again, he can stay, keep his number one spot, young goalie. That's fine. Schwanier at this point, I don't know what more he, he has to do to earn a call. It's Again, since 2021, he's been having these moments and, yeah, injuries halted him a few times where he really was close to a, a Canada call, but now he's fit. He's in the midfield. Canada's midfield is light for this tournament. Um, again, we're talking about a need to find a third midfielder long-term. If it's Schwanier, why are, why are they looking at Schwanier? What he's shown is good versatility. He can play in a pivot. He probably, my guess is his best position in midfield is, would be a third number eight. We haven't really seen, or sorry, like a second number eight in front of a six. We haven't really seen that in Montreal because they've had to rely on him on a double pivot. That sort of flexibility would excite me if I was John Herman thinking, okay, he can be flexible. You kind of slot him in beside Nustakio and have Kone be more of a 10 or, you know, something along those lines. So, yeah, it, it, it does make a lot of uh you know it's it would make a lot of sense to call him in and be like okay how does he look alongside new stachio or Laturi or, or one of these uh these things so for for schwanier it is one where it's genuinely puzzling his forms deserved it so that's one that canada needs more midfielders so you can't say there's a huge glut of players in his way i just feel like it's something that's what more can he do at this point because he's he's had the numbers he's had the consistency uh, you know he's played in these big games and performed uh at this point i don't know what more he could do and taking a look at the group stage, but especially this upcoming Guadeloupe game, and a question from at Ted Barda, will Canada approach the Guadeloupe game differently 
because they aren't a FIFA opponent. Rest of stock, you'll give McGill a game, et cetera, since no FIFA points are on the line. Or does that really not factor in? And I don't think it necessarily factors in. You still want to approach it in the same way you would before. You still want to win. You still want to go out and get the much-needed points in terms of advancing from the group stage um, because it's not necessarily a pushover team in Guadalupe. You never want to lose your first group stage game, right? I think that's always the third games where you have fun because then you can already know where you've taken care of business. And especially for Canada, like this is a home game. Again, their home record is very good. There's no reason to throw away this chance you have to play a home game to get experimental. And again, like we mentioned, Guadalupe's got some players where if you don't take them seriously, they will be able to punish you in moments. So I think it's something where Guadalupe should be taken seriously. You're at home as well. Get the win that your fans deserve because this is a rare opportunity again to, to play at home. Who who knows how many fans will will be there? And I'm sure we'll have a passionate talk after the game about you know ticket prices and um, you know just overall growing the game and what this opportunity actually um, means. But no, it's something where you take it seriously. And for mine, Zilberstein, what's your ideal starting eleven for the Guadalupe match? Do we put our best eleven or take it easy and let some of the younger guys play? And I think it'll be a mix as it will be throughout this tournament. Yeah, I think you kind of have to start with the, you know, go from there, right? I think I'd love to see a St. Clair in goal, you know, give something where you start Vittoria first game, send a message, probably have him wearing the armband, but then slot in like a Zator and, a, you know, Kennedy or Miller or Bombito beside him, you know, Stacchio if, if healthy in the midfield, uh, but throw Latouri alongside him and an Azorio. Keep Atacubi and Larea, and then up front, Hoylet, and take your pick of a brim. I think that's probably closest to the the starting eleven. Maybe barring a few tweaks there, here or there, and I think that's fair. It's a good mix of experience, but it's one where you're looking at some new guys and and, and kind of giving them a test. And getting into a couple of your other questions as well from at S Jordan nineteen eighty eight. What do you think of one soccer's coverage of the Gold Cup and? I think it's it's pretty good. There's full wall to wall coverage of the Canadian men's national team. Uh, every game is available on one soccer. Um, probably I assume it will be individual unique commentary for the Canadian games and then decent commentary for the American ones as well. So I think, uh, both Alex and the, the one soccer digital crew, and then the, the one soccer broadcast crew is doing as good a job on the gold cup as we expect them to. And it's kind of the standard that we're getting used to for soccer coverage in this country, especially coming from one soccer. Yeah, look, I mean, we'll we'll see how the tournament goes. I'll just say, I mean, it is nice to to have all the Gold Cup all there in one spot, right? I mean, as wild as it is, there's times where if the, you wanted to watch Haiti versus, you know, Qatar, you might not be able to get access to that. Um, so, like, hey, I think that hopefully the fact that there's access is, is there and hopefully the, the tournament goes without hitches. Cause I mean, it is a nice benefit again, like us Jamaica is able to sit down and throw it on the, the tablet and kind of get a peek of what's going on. Ditto with some of these fun games, like today as a recording, or, you know, some interesting stories like Trinidad and Tobago beating St. Kitts and Nevis, a couple CPL players seen the field, Haiti as well. Fantastic story, Mexico dominating. Like it's good just to see all that. And hopefully from there, um, uh, Everything goes without hitches and uh, we can look back in a month's time and if the questions asked again can can reflect on it positively. I mean, when you look back at soccer broadcasting in Canada over the years, I remember the Gold Cups of the past where you're getting the American feed of Fox Sports on TSN, but it's only for the Canada games. And 
if you want to watch another game, you're going to be hard pressed. I remember finding just random streams in Spanish for these other games, whereas now they're, they're all available in one spot. They're all good quality broadcasts. Um, say what you will about some of the, the commentary, um, especially on the, the broadcast coming straight from CONCACAF, but uh, I think it, it's all quality. They're all professional broadcasts, and it's so easy to be able to watch Gold Cup international soccer uh, in Canada, especially through CONCACAF, through One Soccer. So in, in that respect, I think it's a, it's a very valuable spot and a very decent job from One Soccer. Uh, but a question from Mike Rice, 1983. Should Ken PL teams be watching David Watherspoon and trying to tempt him as a free agent, or would an MLS side be doing this? And I think it has to be an MLS side at this point, a CPL team other than Forge. I don't really can see taking a swing at a player that big. I mean, it'll be interesting to see, right? Because the guys who we've seen make that jump, it's been, for the most part, it's just been Rangers and Celtic guys kind of coming over to MLS, like kind of the big two. And if not, it's been guys like Christian Ramirez who already knew MLS and had his test in Scotland or Chris Mueller. I'd say Weatherspoon could probably play in MLS, um, but I, so I again, I'd agree with you in that regard because he has proven that he's uh, you know an upper echelon Scottish player on his day, and that would translate well to an MLS team. But look, if you're a CPL team, make the pitch because I mean it's something where say the pitch is right and Weatherspoon accepts. First of all, it's a World Cup participant. That's something where it's tangible. You can be like, look, like we have someone who played at the World Cup for Canada in the league. That's something for these young players to learn from. Uh, you know, that's a marketing draw for if you use that in the right sense, it's going to help a team's midfield. There's a few teams that could use an upgrade on midfield in midfield. So, of course, I'd love to see a guy like Weatherspoon because I feel like it's one of those veteran Canadian signings that can can only help the league. Right. The same way a guy like David Edgar came in and, and helped stabilize a forge, uh, you know, back in 2019 and some of these other veterans you've kind of come and see. And it's good to have th- those veterans who have seen it and done that. Um, especially a guy like Weatherspoon now who's kind of see, he's he's not of a generation like an Edgar or a Nick Ledger where it's them it was before it was the dark days a guy like Weatherspoon he only really came in 2018 so he can say like okay look like you guys if you're a youngster just imagine like we'll throw it out like say signs for Vancouver FC right they need some midfield help well you can be sitting there teaching a youngster like a TJ Tahit or James Cameron or Tyler Crawford or all these youngsters they have like look I got to train with Alfonso Davies from the Whitecaps days to where he's at, at Bayern. These are the sorts of things that set him apart. These, This is how what you need to do to get to that next level. I just can only imagine how invaluable that sort of experience would be. Uh, and plus at 33, 34, he's still got some legs in him. So I feel like if you're a CPL team, make the pitch, right? And see what you can see if you can make it happen. Because there would just be so much uh, you can get out of it. And from Jay on the spot 12, what do you think of Saliba so far? He's only recently started imposing himself with CF Montreal, which is why I think he wasn't included in the preliminary roster for the Gold Cup. And with no Aiden Morris, I think Herdman will want a good look at him. Yeah, hopefully he just keeps progressing. Because I think, as we saw at the start of the season, the potential's there. He just he shows it in glimpses, right? He'll rip out these switches. He'll get out these dribbles. And you're like, okay, I like it. Like, give me more. And then there'll just be moments of, you know, especially early on the season, just failing to track a man or you get a cheap yellow card or you have a defensive lapse. Uh, and I think he's done well to kind of slowly find a bit of consistency. I think it's helped as well that he hasn't been thrust in and Schwanier's kind of taken that spot and him and Wanyama have been there. But I think it's, you know, Saliba's stepped in and had some good cameos and good appearances as of late. And it's, it's just growing a bit more of that consistency to go along with those flashes 
um, that, that are there. So hopefully this chance uh, for now, hopefully he can keep playing. Maybe we'll see what happens. Samuel Piet comes back. Who knows if there's injuries in this Canada squad, you'd have to think Schwanier gets called up. And I guess we'll see when, uh, you know, before the first game with what happens and maybe that opens up a door for, for Saliba. And yeah, absolutely. Again, like we mentioned, Canada needs to look at any and all midfielders with Aiden Morris. It was um, just a chance to look at a young midfielder playing well in MLS and it's a ditto with Latouri with Ahmed and, you know, Saliba can get some more consistency, throw him absolutely in that list with a, a, a Schwanier just to look at all in different types of profiles Especially, I mean, a guy like him, he doesn't fill that six, but he's good on the ball. He has that technique. It's something where, look, players like him can only complement the profiles of a Kone or Stack. Of course, a long way to go to get to the consistency of the level, but we, with the potential is definitely there with Saliba. And well, Canada's men's national team goes for a trophy in the CONCACAF Gold Cup. The women's national team is getting ready to take on the FIFA Women's World Cup in just a few weeks' time, and Canada's NWSL players had their final weekend of action as the KWNT, Sans Evelyn Dien and Clarissa Laracy get set to fly to the Gold Coast this week in Australia and really get their preparations underway. Players were training at the NSDC in British Columbia as well as, as Downsview Park in Toronto. Quinn had an assist in a chaotic 2-1 win over San Diego. Kaylin Sheridan saw a red card in that one. It was a quality assist from Quinn as well. Uh, they've been doing tremendously this season since coming back from injury. Huge because Canada needs some stability in midfield. Desiree Scott's still recovering from an injury. We talk so much about um, Canada's needs in midfield. And again, I'll say it like, I feel like for what Canada needs to compete at the modern level, their best options right now is Quinn underneath Fleming and Grosso as eights. And the fact that Quinn's been doing their thing defensively, but also chipping in, like you saw the Golasso they scored, you know, a couple of weeks ago now, getting a beautiful first touch threaded assist to Bethany Balser of the oil rain. Like that's what you want to see from them. And ahead of the world cup, after all the injuries, uh, they were missed in February and in the April windows. So uh, I think that's a huge boost. And Christine Sinclair and Sophie Schmidt also played this weekend. Alicia Chapman was an unused substitute. Michelle Prince continues to train, but didn't make an appearance in Houston squad. Neither has Desiree Scott with the Casey current, but any big takeaways from this weekend of NWSL action? Yeah, I think Sinclair, uh, you know, had a good little performance in a chaotic Portland Thorns game versus uh, Gabby Carl's Washington Spirit. I mean, Sophia Smith is going to be a problem for the U.S. at the World Cup in a good way for them and bad thing if you're any other team. Sinclair did well. I mean, again, continues to adapt to that midfield role. Food just gives you some food for thought for Canada, right? Like is Canada's best option to maybe um throw Sinclair in the midfield for 50 60 minutes kind of like Portland's done it's a winning formula I mean Portland's been dominating in the league they won the league last year or maybe is is Sinclair going to see a bit of a super sub role in midfield for Canada certainly something ponder is just fascinating to see how she competes at that level especially on her team like she has these players who play million miles an hour like Sophia Smith always running uh you got Sam Coffey uh you know you got some of these other players who just play a million miles an hour and she just finds a way to slow things down and, and make things her pace. But then she's also able to step up the pace and play at that pace as well, which is kind of underrated. You always 
see Sinclair and you think, ah, she slowed down. No, she can play. It's just she t- she picks her spots, right? That's the the key of being a you know forty like it is. You're not going to be running ninety just going uh, like you know chicken with your head cut off. You got to manage your energy, and I just love the way she she does that. So that was fun to see, and I just also the Sheridan red card was kind of objectively hilarious because something that ultimately affects nothing. Like you get your red card, you're gone, right? So your suspension, I imagine, will will be taken care of. It was they were already trailing two one, so she saved a goal. She just did kind of hurt their chance to win, make a comeback when you're down a player. It was just one of those where slipped on the ball, turnover, and uh, just a chaotic moment from Kaylin Sheridan. And Evelyn Vien also scored for Christian Stott in a three two win over Kalmar, her eleventh goal of the year, twelve in all competitions. But that's all we've gone for episode one hundred and twenty eight of the Northern Football Podcast. Definitely focused on the men's national team. And the Gold Cup soon to start for Canada, already underway at time of recording. Certainly going to be an intriguing tournament for the Canadian men's national team. And then right in the middle of that, getting into the Women's World Cup as well. An exciting time. But for Alex Gongiruzic, I've been Ben Steiner. Thanks so much for listening to Northern Football Podcast. And make sure to check in throughout the Gold Cup and the Women's World Cup. <laughs>